0: You have your Bibles, I might ask and invite you to open them, even though we will hear the Word. Lord willing, we will also see the Word. And Lord willing, we will also have our hearts open to those things that are in His word. I'd like to begin by just reading one simple verse from Nehemiah four, verse six, and then we will come back to it in its context. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Our gracious Father, we pray that this day that your Spirit would fall fresh upon the preaching and anoint the preacher with the gifts and the anointing of the Spirit, which is alone able to make this profitable. And we pray that our hearts would be open and in tune to the things that you would have for us, and that You would send forth Your Word to bring forth from Your people the fruit that You would desire. We pray that as we enter into this time of listening and hearing from our God in heaven, that You would stir up in us the gifts that You have given to us, and that we would be about building the kingdom. There are many adversaries. There are many struggles. There are many challenges. But Lord, may we keep our eye Focused on the building up of the kingdom. The building of the kingdom in our own hearts. The building of the kingdom in our families. The building up of the kingdom in your church. And the building up of the kingdom in the world. We pray that you would now apply these truths and open our eyes to them. Specifically, individually, familial, and corporately. And we pray that you would be pleased and satisfied with that which you will bring forth. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. With another year behind us and a new one in front of us, I want to take this morning as an introduction to a series of messages that is intended to revamp and rekindle the vision of Heritage Church. As we enter 2020, our church is in its 13th year. We have grown up into this ministry, We have new folks that have come into this ministry, we have children that have grown up here, have married here, have children here, and yet I wonder if we have a really good understanding of the ministry vision here. Our children who have been such a part of the vision from the beginning. Are growing up and getting married and starting their families, and I'm concerned that we may not have communicated well to them the vision of the church in which they have been nourished, or given them a picture of the required work for them to carry it on. So we'll be stepping back from our series from Matthew and hopefully bring up to speed some of our newer members here and some of those folks who've come in. And as we enter into a new decade, as we think about the next 10 to 12 years ahead of us, I'm hoping that we can take this time as we step back away for just a couple of months from our series in Matthew, and we will reconsider the vision of Heritage Church here in the pulpit on the Lord's Day morning as we give our worship to Him in hearing. So this morning I want to bring a message from Nehemiah as we begin this new year. As I consider the church and the future of heritage here, I want us to be challenged to the degree that we put in more effort here. The Lord has blessed us tremendously. And we are a different church than we were 13 years ago. with that growth and prosperity, however, there's also been a growing apathy within our congregation. When I see people who used to be deeply involved in ministry to begin to be pulling back and become busy with life to the degree that they don't have as much time or any time for the ministry, or when I see couples beginning their new lives together and there's a distancing themselves from the covenant community that nurtured them to where they are, those things concern me. When I see marriages weakened to the point that the spouses are doing more battling with each other than they are building the kingdom, that concerns me. When I see children growing up here and taking all this for granted, that concerns me. When I see older ones who have been around the longest time beginning to withdraw, that concerns me. And folks, I'm not, I'm not angry. This morning at all, I'm intensely concerned, but yet I am also equally as hopeful. Because I know that God uses messages just like this to to prod us and to get us energized and to see the vision once again, to embrace the golden city and the golden land that he has brought us into. Folks, we need to be about building the kingdom of God perhaps some here have grown weary and well doing i know that feeling others are focused on the enemy so much that they're in some of their own problems that they forget that there is a kingdom to build so as we again considering our vision with fresh eyes let's make sure that we're looking at the right things and glorying in what god would have us to glory in because when we cease to become enamored with god And the glory of His church, He may take away from us that which means the most to us. Vision is that which will show us and rekindle those values in our life that God has revealed are to be cherished. And we need to value what God values. And so keep that focus lively in front of us. Nehemiah was one of those Jews who lived in Babylon at the time of the captivity. He was the king's cupbearer. He was a well-trusted man. He was in Babylon precisely because God had told His people, when you come into the promised land, and you begin to enjoy all the blessings that I've stored up from you, and you're going to take me for granted, and when you take me for granted, and you then... Enjoy all the blessings, but you forget the blessing giver. I'm going to remove you from the land, and I'm going to scatter you among the nations until the point that you cry out to me and repent of your sins, and then I'm going to bring you back with great joy. He tells them, you're going to forget me. You're going to forget the blessings of the covenant people that I established in the promised land. And because you forget me and turn aside to other things in the world, and because you place a higher priority on those things than you do me, as you began to focus on the the world and the things that it potentially has to offer, but although in false pretense, that glorious temple where I dwell in your midst, I will destroy. I will remove you from that bountiful land that I have given you. The homes that you've inhabited and those old vineyards that were already planted for you and those fruit trees that were already bearing fruit. I will take you away from them all into a land of bondage and slavery until you remember me and all that I have done for you to the point that you will cry out to me and you will cry out and I will hear and you will repent and you will come back and I will bless you once again and that's exactly what's happening that's the context in which Nehemiah is living that had happened and Nehemiah is in Babylon because of that very thing. He's near the end of this prophesied exile. Word came back to Nehemiah about the dilapidated state of Jerusalem. In chapter 1, verse 1, hear and read with me. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. It came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of the brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. And so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Remember Jerusalem? Remember the glorious city? This past week we read from Psalm 87, the the very psalm that John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, wrote The title, Glorious Things of Thee, are spoken. The temple was in the midst of her, and nations would talk about this great city. The Queen of Sheba would travel from afar, and to come to see the glorious things of this great city, where God dwelt in her midst. Jerusalem on earth was the figure of the church, and when we hear and we read of Jerusalem, we need to be thinking in modern times, the church... Heritage. It's a glorious city, and she is a blessed land indeed. But the visible aspects are not always so splendid. When God's people begin to neglect God and they begin to pull back from obeying Him and find better things to do with their time and their resources, then the wheels are in motion yet again for another exile of sorts. Nehemiah heard the state of Jerusalem, he was deeply grieved. He had a good station in Babylon, he had a pretty nice position. But that is not where his heart was, his city. The place of his identity was in ruins and disrepair. So he fasted and he prayed. And the subsequent verses say he confessed his sins. He confessed the sins of his father. He confessed the sins of all of Israel. And he put himself as personal in those confessions for all of the state as anybody ever did. And he got on his face before God and poured out his heart. And he prayed that God would use him to do something about the situation. The church in America is suffering greatly because of Christians' idolatry and focus on this world. Many of the glories of the beautiful city are diminishing in our land because we have not been faithful to God. Right before our very eyes, we watch the enemy come into Jerusalem and ransack her, precisely because we've taken our eyes off of God and we stopped doing what pleases Him. We see worldly agendas and philosophies being propagated within her walls. When we see the sins of Sodom coming into the walls of Jerusalem and we embrace these things... We see a city that is about to be destroyed and a people driven away and taken into captivity in a foreign land under oppressive enemies until they can learn to cry out to God and appreciate the former splendor and repent of their sins and to come back with a greater tenacity to obey Him. Folks, wake up and see what's happening in our land. This is not a time to get weary and well doing This is not a time to get comfortable and relaxed. This is not a time to pursue your personal peace and affluence and your lifestyle and your comfort. This is not that time. The very things you appreciate about heritage and the church are in grave danger. And we've got to be vigilant and energetic about rebuilding that which is being torn down. The next thing we see is Nehemiah's vision for the church. Oh, he's grieved, but he's going to do something about it. He's mourning, and there he is in chapter 2. His vision was summed up in simply wanting to restore the brokenness of the former glory. He wasn't setting out to do anything novel. He wasn't out there to do anything splendidly new. He simply wanted to see the former things shine once again in all the splendor for which God had intended. Jeremiah had spoken. He was the prophet that spoke on the, the beginning part. Of warning the people of the exile. And the Lord says, stand in the way and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. The old paths where the good way is and walk in it. And there you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Nehemiah was just seeking the old paths. To walk in the good ways and, and enjoy the glory that God was in their presence. And that's what I hope in a nutshell is what the v- vision of heritage is all about. Seeking those old glorious paths. Not creating any kind of newness or novelty. But just recovering the glories of the past of the church for what she was intended to be. And, and really what she already is progressing in other parts of the world. This is not saying that the church is failing. This is saying there's brokenness within America, in our own land, in our context, because of our sins. In the context of Nehemiah's grieving over Jerusalem, he was in the king's presence, and the king noticed a sadness in his countenance, and he questioned him about it. So Nehemiah told him, He says, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and the gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. So the king sent him away. Everything Nehemiah asked for, he got, because God was behind it all. The king gave him letters for the rites of passage through the land into the land of Judah and uh, to the city of Jerusalem. He asked for uh, permission to take all of the timber that he needed for the rebuilding of the project from the king's forest, and the king wrote that letter too. The king was giving him a blank check, if you will, but, but he was going to have to put the energy into it and the leadership behind it and then rally the people to do the work that God had called them to do. And when God has called a people to do something and he puts it in their heart with the Spirit, he will accomplish great and mighty things in their midst. And that he did. Nehemiah with a passion in his heart and a fire in his belly and a vision in his mind for the restored Jerusalem set out to rebuild the brokenness of God's city on earth to see her splendor once again. The first thing he did when he came into this land, he encountered resistance. Verse 10 of chapter 2 tells us, when Sembalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. You hear that? These enemies of God were greatly disturbed when they saw a man seeking the well-being of the children of Israel. Well, this was not going to be a cakewalk. It's not going to be an easy stroll into the park. He didn't expect it to be. He didn't ask for it to be. And that's not what his, his main focus was. It was about building the kingdom. There was going to be constant resistance to the good that he was about. Notice here that the enemies of God will always be focused on disturbing the well-being of God's people. That's what they're in business to do. That's what they live for. The enemy has, had destroyed the well-being of God's people. That's what made them, if you will, happy. And the enemy of God is all about destroying the lives of God's people, the good things that they enjoy. That's why they enticed them into idolatry, knowing that God would drive them out. The very things that they enjoyed, they were about destroying this good stuff when there's interest in restoring the beauty and the truth and the goodness of God's city, it was going to be hard and it was going to be difficult, but as we shall see, that does not deter Nehemiah. What Nehemiah did next as he goes to the city at night, and he begins to assess the damage and to began seeing the city firsthand so that he can form a plan, and that's what he did. He formed a plan, then he communicated it to the people in verse 17 of chapter 2. Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in? How Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. In other words, what he's saying is, This city has a higher view. God has blessed this city. We become a reproach to the nations. We're the laughingstock of the world because we have forsaken our God and God has turned us over. But there is a higher vision for you, city. There is something more grand that you need to see. And I told them, the hand of my God had been good upon me and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said... Let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. The people became energized in the vision, they had been living in this city that had been dilapidated and run down and burned with fire to the degree that their hearts were disheartened and discouraged and they probably felt like there was no use or no hope anymore. And then comes Nehemiah into their presence and energizes the people of God and they set themselves to the work and they see the vision and they set themselves to it because the work was good and the vision was glorious. No sooner had this commitment been made than the enemy shows himself again. Verse 19, But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Jeshum the Arab heard it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? But the people worked on. And we see in chapter 3, The people were energized in the work. Chapter 3 is a beautiful picture of the covenantal approach in which people bind together for a common cause to rebuild the brokenness of Jerusalem. We see family after family lined up next to each other around the city, all doing a part. Oftentimes, Doing a work that they had, were not designed to do. Doing a work perhaps maybe they have never done. But in times of war and times of rebuilding, folks from all walks of life must pitch in and do the work to get the job done. And so we see the beginning of the list in chapter 3, verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest rose up with his brethren, the priest, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built it as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it as far as the Tower of Hananel. We see in verse 8, the goldsmiths were about the work, and next to them, the perfumers. I don't know what kind of mind you have about perfumers, but I think of some dainty, uh, very exquisite, you know, Somalier type of kind of person. When you shake his hands, his paws are probably as soft as babies. And he was right there, the perfumers with his family, building beside the goldsmiths. We see the leaders, even in verse 12, Shalom, who was the leader over half the district of Jerusalem, he joined in the work along with his daughters, the Scripture says. He points out the daughters. We see Levites and musicians and Jews of all walks of life coming together, working in labor for this worthy and good project to see the golden city return to its former splendor. All except for the nobles of the Toakites. Verse 5, next to them the Toakites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord, There's always some who want the benefits of the church, but who will not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. Perhaps they felt entitled or above that kind of labor. Perhaps they had some excuse. But the Scripture calls them out, points to the simple fact they would not, Put their shoulder to the work. You know, everyone in Jerusalem has some vested interest in the project. Not only was the city being restored, but their homes were now being repaired. Seventy years it's been in this dilapidated state. And for the first time, for some of these people, they've seen something that begins to blossom once again. And as the energy is poured into the project, God blessed their works. He blessed the effort. After all, it was His project, His design, His thought, His purpose all along. This is exactly what he said he would do. When the people repented of their sins and they turned back to him and they applied their lives to the kind of energy and activity that delighted him and that he desired, he would restore them and the families would be restored. Their homes would be rebuilt. The city would be put back. The temple would be reestablished. And feasting would happen once again in the land. And that's exactly what happened. So the people worked on. Or resistance mounted and challenges came. But they kept their eye on the ball. Chapter 4. The enemies of God will always put their target where the progress is being made. And so we see that in chapter 4, verse 1. But so it happened. And Samballot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and became indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, whatever they build, even a fox goes up on it, it will break down their wall. Taunting. That's exactly what enemies do. They taunt. They heckle. They accuse. They will do anything they can to try to dissuade and to discourage and to distract the people of God and doing what God desires of them. Folks, the exact same enemies that were energizing Tobiah and Sambalat are alive today, working in different channels, in different people, in different entities. But they are alive today attempting to dissuade and to discourage and to distract you in what you are doing to build the church where she is broken. Trying to dissuade you. Oh, it's no use. It's no good. Trying to discourage you. I don't see the purpose or the fruit of the labor of my hands. Trying to distract you. Oh, something better else is for you over here. Don't commit to that. These enemies are quiet as long as your homes are in shambles. When your marriages are on the rocks and when the church lies quietly in her ruins. But when work and energy are applied to the brokenness to get the things back in godly order, the enemy comes alive in ways you've never seen before. And I am concerned here that we may be slacking off in our energy level and serving the Lord and rebuilding the brokenness of the church where she needs repair. The church in America, when we started 13 years ago, was not very healthy. There's a lot of good things that are going on in pockets, but as a whole in our nation, the church is not healthy. There are many broken down walls, and burnt gates, and, and tumbled houses, and, and we look at the, the state of the church, and we cannot get slack here. one of the things that you can do to play into the enemy's hands is just do nothing. Back off. Draw back from serving. To diminish your energy level into the kingdom. To draw back from the people of God. To become so comfortable and used to seeing the walls and the houses of the city in disrepair that it doesn't move you anymore to action. The other thing, even worse, is to allow the old enemies to use you as a channel for the taunting, for the gossip. to Be a source of discouragement to God's people or to dissuade them from their ministry or work or to distract people from building. Be careful that you never play into the hands of the enemy yourself moving to the wrong side or allowing you to be a channel of Gossip. Or of bitterness against someone else who is your neighbor who is on the same side. Perhaps you're the goldsmith and the perfumers are right next to you. I don't know what a goldsmith has in common with a perfumer, but I know that they were in the kingdom of God and they were about the kingdom business and they were in Israel and they were brothers in Christ and so they labored together. Folks, we are a family. We are a household of faith. We are the children of God. Christ is our Lord. He is our brother. And we are called to love one another and to serve one another and to dwell in peace with one another and to be in unity of spirit with one another and to be about the building up of the kingdom of God together. so as these challenges come and now there is more of a, a, mounting, a, a mounting concerted effort against the building up of what Nehemiah was about, he wasn't deterred. What does he do? Verse 4, he calls on God. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own hands and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. That which they did to us, that which they are seeking for us now, do unto them, O God, and hear our voice and our prayer. This is your plan. This is your church. This is your building. This is your glory. This is your dwelling. Lord, as the ark comes back into Jerusalem, man, Lord, please take care and hear our voice. He he goes on. He goes on. He goes on. Building. That's where you see this verse, so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. The people had a mind to work. As long as people have a mind to serve, significant progress is made in the right direction. Progress didn't quiet the enemy. It it aroused him actually to greater fierceness, as we see in verse 7. now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed. They became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and to create confusion. See, when you look at the characteristics of the enemy... You know the enemy is near. Confusion. They want to create confusion. They want to attack the church. They want to come together and assemble themselves against the good things of God. And when you see those characteristics, know that the enemy is near. And you are not warring and battling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and, and the things that you do not see. The same enemy is is here today, desiring to do the same thing today, to bring confusion, to distort your purpose, to get your eye off the ball, to dissuade you, discourage you, and distract you. Nevertheless, verse 9, we made our prayer to God. Because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Now the problems became very real and significant in this project. Nehemiah goes on, then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. There's weariness that was growing over the days of labor that they were giving themselves to. They were getting tired. And our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. There's threats that they're hearing. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came and told, them, told us ten times, for whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. For whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. For whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. For whatever place we, you can just see. There was a bit of distraction, a bit of discouragement, a bit of dissuasion. Therefore, Nehemiah, verse 13, positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose and said to the nobles and the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Heritage, do not be afraid. And remember the Lord is great and awesome, and rise up and fight for your brethren, and for your sons, and for your daughters, and for your wives, and for your houses. Are you engaged in the spiritual battle? Do you spend the time in the prayer and in the Word and the means of grace, or have you gotten weary and well doing and slack or apathetic or lazy? You backed off. The cleanup was overwhelming. They've been working for some days now and they're weakening in the struggle and the enemy seems to know when to capitalize on the situation because he knows when there's a weakness and he's waiting to pounce on you when you are weak. To so rise up. This is what the enemy's actually intended to do. The enemy's had amassed a, a number of soldiers And there was a conspiracy that they were all in it together against Israel to frustrate the plans and to overcome them. And soldiers began to intensify the threat. Nehemiah does not take his eye off the ball. How many of you fathers ever talk to your sons about hitting the baseball? Do not take your eye off the ball. Do not take your eye off the ball, whether it be golf or baseball or softball. Do not take your eye off the ball. Nehemiah did not take his eye. He did not allow the enemy's threats to sidetrack him from what God called him to do. He was not called to fight, though he will if necessary, but he is called to build. And that's what we're called to. The ministry was to build. The ministry was to build the kingdom, to to repair the wall, to build the city. That's what we're called to do. He realized the danger. He rearranged the people so that progress could continue. In verse 14, he reminds the people about what their vision is about. What their work was to accomplish. What God desired them to do he reminds them to keep their eye on the ball and to focus their energy that needs to be about the building not about the enemy not about the fighting actually god will take care of the enemy if you are faithful to build for him if you seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness god will take care of all of your needs and he will go and fight the battle for you See, God uses our enemies and His enemies to bring chastening to His people so that when we take our eye off the ball and we get distracted, He uses it as the rod of correction to bring His people back. But if we keep our focus upon Him... Yes, we're going to have to keep our defenses up. Yes, we're going to have to be vigilant and watchful that we enter not into temptation. Yes, we need to pray that prayer, Lord, deliver us from the enemy. But the more we pray for the rights of God, Thy name be hallowed, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The less we will have need to pray, forgive us this day our daily bread, forgive us of our sins, and keep us from the enemy. You get it in that priority. You don't neglect the last three, but you get it in that priority, and God takes care of those things that you're worried about, that you're anxious about, that you fear about, that you're negligent about, that that they're stronger than you. Because ultimately, when we see the glory of God in Christ Jesus and His return, the first three will come into its consummation and the last three will never be needed again. So the people get back to work. Verse 15, and it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us return to the wall, everyone to his work. And when God's people are called to build the kingdom, there will be enemy th- threats that we cannot ignore, but realize that God will use the entire community of his people, to maintain the safety for us all so that his purposes can continue. Look at verse 16 and 17. So it was from that time on that half of the servants worked at the construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore the armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. Notice the division of labor in these verses. You hear what it's saying here? We need each other to be successful. Everybody's got a job to do. Everybody's got something to help every one of us see success and be protected from the enemy. To see our homes restored, we need the community. To see the glory of Israel, we need each other. To be protected from the enemy, we need each other. We need the gifts and the labors of every person in the church to be active and energetic for our endeavor here to succeed. For the vision of God, not merely our vision to be realized these people were keenly aware of the enemy and the dangers that surrounded them these dangers have always been there the enemy is not as visible and sometimes as he is in others but this time in their life he was very visible but when the when the people of god do not realize their threats when they do not realize that the enemy is just luring and waiting and lurking upon them, waiting to devour them, what happens is they take God for granted. They're enjoying the good land. They say they saw God come in and, and wipe out the enemies, and they are now eating of the produce and having the prosperity, and they have the temple built, and they're worshiping, and the singers are praising, and they take God for granted. They presume upon Him. They think all is well and everything will be fine, even in their negligence of God and negligence in their ministry for the kingdom. And that's what happened to get them in this place in the first place. But now there's an awareness. And it's rekindled as they begin to work. And God blesses them both with protection and with provisional graces. Folks, we have enemies who want to destroy your marriage. They want to destroy your homes. They want to destroy your children. And they want to destroy this church. That's nothing new. The threat has always been there. God has informed us to be watchful, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It is not a new threat but when we presume upon God and we neglect Him and draw back from Him to pursue other interests at His expense, we need to hear that warning because we're removing ourselves from the very protection that He offers and we're allowing ourselves the chastening rod of God through those things that we fear the most. Don't take God for granted. Don't presume upon Him. Trusting, yes. Do not grow weary in well-doing. Do not let your hands grow slack in ministry, the very thing He's called us to do here. When we draw back from community that is our defense and our shield and our protection, we can't expect for God to bless that and bless us when we presume when we neglect building the kingdom, that's when we're most vulnerable for attack. Because God often uses our enemies to chase us. The threat's always there, but we're most vulnerable when we get our eye off the ball. Over the course of the next few months, we need to rekindle the gospel vision here at Heritage, the gospel life and the work that God has called every one of us to. I'm fearful that if we do not get this vision in our minds and the passion for it in our hearts and the grandness of God in our souls and the energy for the kingdom in our bodies, that there will not be a heritage in 50 years. Do not take that for granted. Do not presume upon his goodness. My grandchildren in 50 years will be just about my age. And what will Jerusalem look like to them? Will the walls be broken down in disrepair? Or will there be feasting and rejuvenated joy of which God would love and be pleased with? But he gives us a responsibility. And much of that depends upon you and me and our faithfulness. The prophecy of Deuteronomy that says this is going to happen can happen again in specific applications if we do not make God our grandest joy and ministry for him in this life our greatest aim. If the enemy is so present in your life that your marriage is broken and your children are wayward and your relationships with each other are so messed up and your life is in shambles, then perhaps you are already in a spiritual exile because of your sin. And you're just watching the enemies ransack the city. There's nothing yet. God has promised. He has promised that if you repent and you get your life refocused back upon Him and you get your life energized in the work that He has given you to do, those good works that He has foreordained that you should walk in them according to the gospel in Ephesians 2, then He has promised healing and restoration and blessings and repair. And the good life that he's designed for you to enjoy. If your focus is always battling the enemies in your life, then you can't be about much building. You've got to remember that the project God has for us is to build. Build. We're going to have setbacks. We're going to have challenges. We're going to have the enemies. We're going to have threats. We're going to be dissuaded. We're going to be discouraged. But we cannot take our eye off the ball and grow slack. We have to be about building. We're cognizant of the enemy. But we will not grow slack. If we keep the kingdom the priority of our life and about our energy, God's going to take care of the enemy. He will prosper us. And in faith, we walk. In faith, we, we, we move forward. And in faith, we embrace because we see the glory of the splendid city. And for that, we labor because glory of God is there revealed. The heavens declare the glory of God. We've read, we've sung. The firmament showeth forth his handiwork, but the church visible manifestation of Christ on earth can show the glory of God to the nations when she is in good repair. This year needs to be a year of progress in your spiritual life. It needs to be a year of progress in my spiritual life. This year needs to be a year of kingdom building in your family. This year needs to be a year of kingdom building in your marriage. This year needs to be a year of kingdom building in your obedience and respect and honor of your parents. This year needs to be a year of kingdom building and your parenting and you're, you're rising up to train your children in the nurture now. Don't let your hands grow weary or your energy slack in training up your children. This year needs to be a year of kingdom building in this church where we are repairing the broken walls relationships have been broken, where tensions have mounted, where there is a a quiet shunning in a spirit towards somebody else, or a gossip that has now fostered into a place that it is being harmful, this year needs to be a year of repairing those ruins, a year of uncovering the splendor of the old paths. This needs to be a day that you're setting aside all of those problems and refreshing in your spirit and committing to your God and asking of the Spirit to give you victory in the building this year. It needs to be a year of renewing God's vision and what He's called for us to do what He's called our children to carry on, and what He's called our grandchildren to stand upon and build with greater light and to shine the glory of the gospel to greater lands. This is a year that we have to recover that. We are busy fighting each other. We're not building, we're destroying If the goldsmith is fussing because the perfumer smells, we're not building effectively. And if the perfumer complains that the goldsmith is all about the riches of this world, and yet he's building, we're not being very effective. But if we are agents of destruction... God will not allow you to get away with that. If we are lazy, we're going to reap what we sow. Weeds. If we put the church at the margin of our lives, we might one day wake up and find it's not there at all. But if we see the vision and the splendor of Jerusalem, that golden city... That glorious things of Thee are spoken. And we get ourselves to the work and busy ourselves to overcome the obstacles and the hurdles and the challenges and the dissuasion and the distortions and all of the discouragement and the distractions. We will be amazed at what great things God will do. These people in spite of all their challenges and threats, were able to see this wall from raw timbers of the king's forest, cut down, hewn, taken out, and then rebuilding a wall completely finished all around an entire city with gates hung, gaps closed in 52 days. And even God's enemies acknowledged The astounding effect that God had done. Nehemiah and the people look back and it says, what God had done in their midst. And isn't it great when God decides to do something and uses you as a part of the agency to be able to see the grand and glorious things of marriages being put back of old relationships established where love abounds and the church grows at the expense of Satan's kingdom. Then Ezra stands up and he reads the law of God. The people have not heard that in years. They hear things and their hearts are grieved. And they realize how far short they have fallen of God's glory. And they begin to mourn and weep in the said, priests... No, no, this is not a day for that. This is a day of rejoicing. And when God's people turn their hearts to weeping and repentance and confession, that's exactly the forgiveness and the restoration that God gives to His people. He says, okay, you have wept for your sins. Now I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to give you the joy of feasting. And right after that, the Feast of the Tabernacles is celebrated for the first time in Jerusalem in many, many years, in the first time in these people's lives. And they've tasted of the good things and they're seeing the glory being restored. Folks, that's what the vision of heritage is about. It's not my vision. It's not our vision. It is God's vision. And this is a glorious church. This is a splendid place to be. And there's a great work to be done. But don't get slack in well-doing. Don't take God for granted. Don't presume upon His grace, but feast upon the good things of God and He will bless you and bless you and bless you. You withdraw from this place. You have no protection. You let your hands grow slack in the work and pretty soon the weeds will grow up in your own life. Be about the work. Put your shoulder to the task so that our kids can have a beautiful, Garden City. Our grandchildren can then take and share the gospel beyond the borders of the likes of which you and I cannot even imagine. Let's make the church glorious again so that feasting and joy can be heard for many miles away and the people from the nations want to bring Sheba again once again to see what great things are going on in this city. So let's make 2020s a great decade ahead of us. Let's do the work God has given because there is a work to do. And let's be faithful with our children, not just for our children. Let's be faithful with our grandchildren. Don't take your time and set aside your life in order to raise your children, in order to bring them back into the church. You raise your children in the context of the service and the ministry. Even a child has known by his doing, the Scripture says. Even from the mouth of infants, God has ordained praise. You bring them up into the work, with the work, and labor right beside them as your daughters rebuild, as your sons rebuild, as the family joins together, the perfumers and the goldsmiths alike. But don't be like those nobles who would not put their shoulder to the work. Whatever their excuse may have been. And we will know The joy of feasting. We know the joy of feasting this day. And we're about to feast before the Lord because it is not our right, but it is a great privilege. It is a means of grace that He's given to us. And we have the pleasure to do this in the liberty and the freedom of this nation still. In the place that we have here today. But we don't take this for granted. Oh, God has promised to be faithful with this covenant. But if... His sons are faithful to obey me. Then I will establish them in it. See. So let us be faithful with God's covenant. And God promises His covenant blessings will overflow. The likes of which you cannot imagine. Let's trust the gospel. And as we look to Christ in the next few months, particularly around a vision of the gospel to the individual and the gospel to the family and the gospel to the church, I trust that you will be on board and put your shoulder to the work. Perhaps you have struggles in your marriage as you come here today, right now is the time that you come to the table in a recommitment of your life to pursue your spouse and to put away those sins and to build with your spouse, not be enemies with your spouse, but to share in the work of God in Christ and commit this day and call upon the name of the Lord and come back out of exile and let Him work in you to build a beautiful garden in your marriage once again. Perhaps you've got an estrangement with a child or a child with a parent, and the same thing would be applying to you today. Come to the place where you commit your life and confess your sins and say, I don't like this relationship right now. I don't want it to continue like this, but I'm being stubborn in my heart. I want to repent. God, come and do a work. And God says, the enemy that's stronger than you, I will take care of him if you but put me first in my kingdom. I will show you great and mighty things that your eyes have never seen before. Whatever the problem is, whatever the slackness, whatever the, 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 the pride or the lack of humility that keeps us from going, if there's estrangement or bitterness, if there's something going on in your life, this day is the day of salvation. And God's arm is not too short that He can't save. He is ready and waiting for you to cry out to Him. And let's look forward to what great things He's going to do because He's promised that if you do that, He will bring salvation and joy. He will bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. There's great promise. So we should have great expectation if we're but faithful. Our gracious Father, we pray that you would take this message and stir us up to the gospel life and keep us from wasting our life taking all that time on social media and checking the Instagram and the Facebook and all that junk that keeps us from building the kingdom. All of the faux covenants out there, the faux communities living for the likes and addicted to the unrealistic relationships that they falsely show. Lord, this is the community. This is the church. These are your people. And this is the place where we sacrifice and we love and we give. And it hurts and we yet grow and we we give of ourselves. So today, Lord, we commit ourselves to you once again. This day is a covenant renewal of our lives as we come to this covenant renewal meal. And I pray you would break us and, and give us repentance and show us sorrow. And may we weep over the, the state of the place of the church in many parts of our country. And may that not happen here. But I pray we would weep over our own sins where we are contributing I pray that we would weep over those distances and relationships that we have fostered. I pray that we would weep over that bitterness that we have harbored. I pray that we would weep over the laziness that we have and the apathy of our spirits and the lukewarmness in our hearts. And that You would give us a passion for our God. And rekindle the love for Christ. That first love above all loves. Oh God come and hear us today we pray. Come and change our lives. And show us the beauty. Of what Christ has done to his bride. And may we so labor. And may we so labor. And we pray this in his strong and beautiful and glorious victorious name. Amen.